Okay, we're going to start in verse 6 and just roll through the rest of it. Uh, But verse 6, so Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called the name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor in Phicol, his commander of his army, Uh, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has blessed you, has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. Just Just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace, you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Let's pray. Uh, Father, in order for any of this to make sense to our lives today and and for it to impact our hearts and our minds in any sort of way, it's going to have to be a work that you do. So we ask that you would do it. We ask that you would come and help us, that you would show us exactly what it is you have for us today in your word. We aren't searching anywhere else. Would you speak to us, Father? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Imagine staying the night in a home you do not know, where little creatures go bump in the night, 
and where little sounds are super scary. This is what happened to Leah and I one night when we babysat for a certain family. I won't say any names, the Moors. Um, I've told this story before, if you remember, but it remains the scariest night of my life so far. Uh, they wanted to have a baby moon right before they had their baby. They wanted to go and spend some time together, and so we obliged to watch their kiddos, Penelope and Simon, and it really wasn't bad at all. Like, uh, they just wanted to watch movies and eat, and like, that's all I wanted to do too, so it was great. Um, but then came the night. The kids were supposed to be in bed at a decent hour, so we put them to bed and stayed as quiet as we could, which was our first mistake, um, because it just added to the creepiness of it all. Um, and Lee and I were used to living in an apartment in Mesquite at the time, so we were used to police sirens, people jumping up and down on the top floor. Um, and then this was out in the country in Forney, and there were no sounds at all. Like, not even crickets made sounds out there. It was just, it was all too quiet, too quiet, until we went to bed, and the loudest machine in the entire world was at our bedside, the baby monitor. My goodness, that thing is so loud whenever a baby starts crying. Um, and we had zero experience with kids, so we thought it had to be up that high, and it's like right here by our faces, so um, we could have just turned it down a few notches, but we didn't know. So we heard every little, every little breath that Simon had and every like, off breath that he had, like the <gasps> and we're like, oh, what's happening? Um, so uh, we went in and out of sleep, and Leah kept waking me up, saying, like, there's something in the house, there's something in the house. I'm like, there's nothing in the house. I locked all the doors um, until this one time she woke me up. She said, Jake, there's something in the house, and I was like, I could hear it too. And so I sat up a little bit and I was like, wait a second, I can hear it. And then the door to the bedroom swings open slowly. And I was like, like, this is it. Like, it's happening. We're dying right here tonight. Somebody's coming through the door. Um, It was Penelope. She she walks in um, and she was like, I was just scared. I thought I could hear something. I was like, yeah, us too. Get in here. Close the door. Uh, Make sure you lock it. We just left Simon in the other room. Uh, it was the scariest night of my life, but uh, I tell this story because there are going to be times in our faith where you and I are afraid. That is just the truth of the matter. It's an inevitability. Um, from the beginning of the Bible, we see every one of God's characters, every one of the people, including Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like half of David's Psalms, all of the disciples. We see nearly every person in the Bible dealing with fear. And there are over 360 references from God in the Bible exhorting his people to not fear. So over and over and over again, do not fear the situation you're in. Do not fear the war. Do not fear the famine. Do not fear the storm. Do not fear the people. God is telling Isaac and God is telling you and I, do not fear. Why is God saying this? Because we do fear. Maybe it's losing our job. Maybe it's losing our spouse to death or adultery. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's fertility issues. Maybe it's losing our finances or our security. Maybe it's losing control. We all fear something. We all have our nightmares. We all have terrible thoughts that bring us to trembling fear. If we're honest, we fear all the time. And if we're not honest, we're afraid to be honest. We fear, but this is a problem for us because fear is the opposite of faith. Fear leads us away from faith in God because fear leads us to other smaller little G gods that um, that cannot keep us from any of the fear. But here's the good news from our passage. God drives out fear. Isaac has a few things in this passage to be seriously afraid of and God steps in and he just appears to his face and says to him, do not fear. So uh, what we're gonna see is two things here in Genesis 26. First is, Uh, What fear brings, and the second is what faith brings. What fear brings, and what faith brings. 
We are mere mortals and sinful by nature, so we are going to fear, and the path of fear leads us away from God. However, as believers, if we believe in God, we have a God who has our lives in his hands, and he comes to us and says, do not fear. So let's take a look at the first one, what fear brings. Take a look at verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Uh, If you remember from last week, our boy Isaac was in a bit of a pickle. Uh, He was in the land that Abraham, his father, had purchased uh, so that he could bury his people. And it's a huge moment because it it was the very first time that God's people had a piece of land in the promised land. Like It was what God had promised for over a century. And it finally happened. Um, and it was just crazy. God told Abraham that he was going to bless him and the people of every tongue and tribe and nation throughout his lineage and through this land that he now had a piece of. And then famine hits. And we're talking no water, no vegetation, uninhabitable, no man's land, kind of like Wally before they find the plant. And if you're keeping count, that's six weeks in a row with a Disney reference. Um, But God had not called Isaac to leave, and that's the important part to see. God had not called Isaac to leave. He just gets scared. So what we are to believe is that if if Isaac would have stayed, God would have provided a way for him to live. God would have provided a way in the famine, even in the midst of it. But Isaac runs away to save himself. Despite this blatant act of sin, God appears to Isaac. uh, If you look back up to verse 2, and he just tells him some beautiful truth. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Essentially, do not go down to sin. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God tells Isaac, to stay, to live in the land he's in, to dwell there. And if he does, all of these wonderful things are going to happen. And this is where we find verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. And this is a huge moment of faith. Everything going on, the famine. He's running away in sin. He's running. God has not told him to run. And he runs. And God says, okay, stop. And Isaac stops. He dwells in a foreign land with mighty nations that have huge walls and gates all around him. And all because of this, because of the famine, because of the the people around him, Isaac begins to fear. And what you and I are going to see is uh, this fear that Isaac has leads him to three different uh, actions. Uh, The first is lying, the second is running, and the third is quarreling. Uh, So we see the first of these in verse 7. Fear brings lying. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, which is a straight-up lie. So we're clear, uh, but why? For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. So there is, right here, is a fear of men, a fear of circumstances, a fear of walking in the truth. And so he just lies, which is a sin. And so we all do this exact same thing. Maybe not the exact same situation, I get it, Um, although maybe if you're in that situation, but when we're afraid of telling the truth, when we're afraid of confessing sin, when we partially confess sin to make ourselves look better, or maybe it's just, maybe we are just like Isaac and and some new people have come up and and we're trying to make ourselves look better in front of them. We don't want to look weak, so we just tell a little white lie. Like, oh yeah, I I used to do this, or "I'm, I'm this way, I'm this person. A good diagnostic question for our fear is where do we lie? Where do you find yourself lying? 
Where is it that you tend to lie most? That is where you fear. And whatever it is you lie about, that is what you fear more than you fear God. When we fear, we lie, but then we also run, if you look at verse 8. When he had been there a long time, so the key words there, a long time, he's been there, he's in this place of, he just sinned, and he lied, and he got out of the situation, but nothing's happening. He stayed there a long time. So he, he just stays there in his sin. He knows what the truth is. He knows what it could lead to. Um, he knows all the stories of this going poorly for his dad because his dad did it twice. Um, but he stays there for a long time. He's running from God. He's running from grace. Here's what's true for you and I. Sin will always lead to more sin. We go and we lie or we lust or we overeat or we drink a little too much or we have anger or we have bitterness or we gossip. The last thing on our brains is to turn to God. We feel guilty and dirty and ashamed so we run from the Father. We even know maybe that there is forgiveness. We even know maybe that there is love and grace and peace there, but we run. Why? Because we're afraid to face our Father. He has given us so much grace and love and peace, and yet we still sinned. I can't face him. So we run from God. And just like Isaac, we stay in that sin a long time. The more we run, the more we have compiled this huge list of things that, that have to be forgiven now, and it's just going to be too much, so we just stay. It's easier to just stay. We wrestle, we struggle, we ignore our Bible, and we do not pray. We ignore all of our friends from church. We run. So the question is, where do you find yourself staying in sin for a long time? When we're afraid, we run from God. Uh, we lie, but then we also quarrel. Fear brings quarreling. Look at verse 19. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water. So remember the famine. This water is hugely important. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. And they are not totally wrong here. This was their land. Uh, this was not a part of, of Isaac's land yet. So, so he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with them. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. So here's what happened. Isaac feared the famine and needed water so much that he was going to quarrel with the men and women that he was supposed to be a blessing to. There are people in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, at the Starbucks we go to every Thursday, in the, every restaurant here in Forney, and there are people across the globe who do not know Jesus as their Savior and who God has called us to. But when, when we were afraid of what they might think or what they might say, they become the enemy in our minds. And we will never make, and we make up these conversations about what they're going to say or what they're going to do, and we never go to them. What it's going to feel like when we fear in this way is that we're just going to get super selfish. Every little offense or political difference or skin color or cultural norm will get in the way of the blessing that God has called us to bring to all the nations. Because we're just looking out for number one, and we'll find that those other people are constantly bothering our good life. That neighbor wants to be a bother and come over unannounced. That family member has the strongest political views I've ever seen. They're different from me because of the color of their skin. They do things so weird in their culture. And in an instant, the people God has called us to will become the enemy for us. So any sort of 
talking, any sort of conversation is going to be right off the bat just a quarrelsome thing in our own hearts. They don't even know it. Jesus and his disciples, um, nope, sorry, fear, going back, fear leads to lying, running, and quarreling, all of them terrible things. Why? Because they isolate us from other believers. They isolate us from those that we are to bless. They isolate us from God. So a better way to say this is that fear drives out faith. So now back to Jesus and the disciples. They're about to head over the water. They're going over to the other side when Jesus says, all right, you guys go ahead. I'll catch up with you. Um, The disciples are out in the boat in the middle of the water when all all of a sudden they see what they think is a ghost. And so they get super scared. It's actually just Jesus walking on the water, which would be kind of like that would be really interesting to see. Um, so they get really scared, and, and Jesus is like, no, crazies, it's me, like, it's Jesus. Uh, and Peter, one of the disciples, says, if it really is you, command me to come out on the water with you, and I'll walk just like you're doing. Jesus does, and Peter steps out onto the water in faith, and it's so beautiful for one second. And then Peter looks, and he sees the wind and the waves and everything crashing, and he begins to sink. He fears, and in that moment, he loses his faith in God, and he begins to sink. This is you and I when we fear. Whatever it is we fear more than God, we will find ourselves sinking in it. So where do you find yourself sinking? There you will find your fear. Fear brings a lack of faith. Fear drives us away from God and into more sin. But the most important part of the passage is yet to come. When God appears to Isaac. So we're gonna see from God what faith brings, and this is number two. If you look at verse 24. And the Lord appeared to him the same night. So in the middle of this fear, in the middle of all the scary and difficult circumstances that Isaac is currently in, uh, he appeared to him the same night, and God said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So God does just a few things here, and they're amazing. So we're just going to walk through them one by one. The first is that he calls Isaac to remember his dad. God says, remember all of the stories that you heard. Remember how I called your dad out of this same land and how nothing, not famine, not war, nothing kept him from being blessed and from blessing others. And you want to know why this happened for your dad? Because I was the one doing the work. Remember your dad. Remember Abraham. Whenever you and I read in our Bible and we see a verse that says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, I'm the God of Jacob, we should have this same sort of remembrance. We are to remember God's immense grace and provision and love for them and we're to be comforted by it. Like if if these jacked up folks can make it, I think I'm all right. Secondly, God says to Isaac, fear not. Do not be afraid. I know that the circumstances look crazy to you, but this is from me and I have nothing but good things for you. It may feel hard, it may feel like suffering, but who knows better here, you or me? If I tell you not to fear, isn't that more important than what you fear? And then if that wasn't enough, uh, God walks through just exactly why Isaac is not to fear. The first is, for I am with you. There is a reason that the Shane and Shane Psalm 46 is so popular. Lord of hosts, you are with us. That right there is mind-blowing. If you and I truly and actually and really believed this truth, that God is with us, we would never fear. 
when I flipped my roofing van three times uh, and I ended up in the hospital, I was really emotional. I'm kind of emotional anyway. Um, but I was emotional, I was tired, I was scared uh, until my dad walked into the room. Like I even, I just heard his Saudi Arabia Agent Orange cough in the hallway and I was like, I'm all right. How much more so with our Heavenly Father is there nothing left to fear when He's in the room, let alone our hearts? But He doesn't stop there. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you. The word translated blessed in these passages is makarioi, which means to be fully satisfied. It refers to those receiving God's favor regardless of the circumstances. It does not mean material wealth or blessing. Um, It means God's undeserved and unmerited favor on sinners in plenty and in famine. On those who have it all and those who have nothing. The truest blessing is God himself. And he doesn't stop there either. Fear not, for I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your offspring. The gospel is not simply about you and I. It never will be. The gospel, uh, yes and amen, it is about us. And, and yes, it is how we come to saving faith. But it, mean, it means nothing for us if it is just for us. It's for those we pass the gospel on to. If the first two are true and we have seen that, why would we ever be quiet about it? Like Leah and I have been watching the World Cup and I have to rewind to show Leah like, this was an amazing goal. Like, you've got to see this. And Leah's like, oh, cool. He kicked the, the thing and it went in the... And I was like, oh my gosh, you don't get it. (laughs) But like, I have the most amazing blessing in the world. Why would I want to keep it to myself? Why would I keep quiet about that? This is why here at Mission we make disciples. This is why we push for everyone to be discipled and to disciple because that's how we gain these these offspring that, that he's talking about here. This is how we see more and more people into the kingdom of heaven. Who are you discipling? Who is discipling you? It is of utmost importance because the gospel is not just about you and I. Fear not. Do not fear the truth of your sin because the truth of the gospel is, yes, that we are sinful sinners who sin, but also that we have forgiveness for that sin in Jesus Christ. If we confess it, then he will make us clean. The truth of the gospel is, yes, that we have complete and total approval from God in Jesus Christ. So there is no need to lie about anything at all. We can face the truth head on with boldness, knowing that we have a God we fear more. Fear not. Do not fear the face of God in your sin and continue to run from it. Because the truth of the gospel is, yes, our sin is offensive to God, and we should feel a sense of conviction for disobeying God's word. But also what we have in Jesus is what John writes in 1 John If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So say we do these things. If we do not feel forgiven, what are we truly going to trust? Our feelings? Or the truth of scripture? Say we confess our sins and we still still feel guilty. What are we going to trust in that moment? Fear not. Do not fear for your life or how you will provide. Do not fear for your safety and security. The truth of the gospel is, yes, that we have no safety and security that will last here, and that is kind of scary, 
but also that we have a gracious and loving Father who is building up for us a kingdom that will never be huffed and puffed and blown down. There are two kinds of fear. One is sinful and will bring us to even more sin, but there is a fear of God that will lead to grace. Here's the truth of the matter. Fear is a good thing in and of itself. The old gospel hymn that we just sang, Amazing Grace, says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." The grace from God will lead us to be afraid of all of these things, all of the things that we encounter in our lives, all of the famine, everything that happens to us, and to fear even God himself as the wrathful and vengeful God who, who will execute justice. But that same grace, as the writer says it in the song, and grace my fears relieved. Grace will bring us to the point where we are scared and afraid and it will lead us to cry out to God and say, I don't know what to do here. Will you help me? And his grace will relieve the fears. The grace to you and I this morning is that there are fears that we have right now in this moment that we can be relieved of. And that grace comes to us in Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 24. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. What we have seen over the course of our time here in Genesis is that Abraham is really just a picture of the greater Abraham to come. There is a true and better Abraham in Jesus Christ, and the truth of our passage is that the reason we are to fear not is that God is doing it all for the sake of Jesus. It does not matter whether or not we, we uh, do not fear or we do not fear God. What matters is that God is doing this for Jesus. That's why even though Isaac had a terrible lapse of faith in lying to Abimelech, God blessed him. And that's why even though Isaac quarreled with the men of the land, God blessed him with the space to, to move around. And that's why God blesses Abimelech with a covenantal friendship with Isaac, bringing him into the family, bringing him to saving faith. And that's why Isaac's men cry out in the passages and say, we found water. It's not up to you and I doing well to gain it, and it's not up to you and I doing poorly to lose it. It's secured by Jesus. It's for his sake that God will bless us and be with us and will be a blessing that, that will reach out to all the nations. It's because of Jesus that we do not fear. Just listen to all of these passages. Psalm 27 Verse one through three says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Hebrews 13, six, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And let's just go back to Jesus in the water. When the disciples see Jesus, they're afraid. And Jesus says to them in Matthew, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Whatever it is you and I face in this life, Our job is crumbling to the floor when we need to provide for our families. Fear not, for I am with you. 
our health is fading away and we just received news about the tumor coming back. Fear not, for I am with you. Our best friends leaving the country for probably ever, fear not, for I am with you. Our mom or our dad just passed away, fear not, for I am with you. Our baby didn't make it to see the light of day, fear not, for I am with you. It's no wonder to me that Isaac's response in verse 25 is to build an altar and praise God and worship. God appears to his face and says everything that he has to say. And Isaac's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm giving praise and honor and glory back to you. That kind of news is worship worthy. And so that's exactly what you and I are going to do with the Lord's Supper. Um, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're welcome to the table. If you are not yet a believer, I ask that you would remain in your seat on the basis of God's word um, that says, uh, this is not yet for you. This body and blood was not yet shed for you. There is some fear that you should still have. Because you're going to face this God. But the grace to you this morning is that you can have this Jesus. If you confess your sins and if you believe in him, that day of judgment that is coming does not have to be scary for you. If you're in unbelief or if you're in unrepentant sin, I ask that you remain in your seat, but do work with your father in this time. Confess your sins. Believe again or for the first time today. Don't leave this room without securing your faith. For you. For all of us, here is our prayer during this time. Father, we confess that we need this body and this blood to cover the sin of fear that we have. Would you, by your grace, remove any fear that we have and remind us of your presence instead? In Jesus' name, amen. So when you're ready, just take your time, grab the elements when you are ready, bring them back to your seat, and we'll take them all together here in a minute. How do we know that we have nothing left to fear in this life? Because all of our fears were nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. That grace, that grace taught our hearts to fear, and that grace, my fears, happened on the night when he was betrayed and he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Let's pray. God, we thank you for your immense grace to us. That, that we fear, that we have thousands of things in our life that we are currently fearing, that we will fear one day, that we are always going to fear. And yet you stepped into our story. God, would you never let us forget the gospel of Jesus Christ? In light of that, 
Our fears mean nothing. What's the worst that could happen? We die and go be with you? God, would you remind us? Would you remind us of your, of your gospel? We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together and respond to that message and just worship our God for the, the grace that he's shown us at the cross from Jesus Christ.